Well, it's good to be able to come and uh, spend a morning with you all. It's been a great treat to sort of journey along with you in this almost 10-year uh, path. In some ways, you all have decided to take a little bit more of an unhurried approach to being church. And, uh, and I've loved watching that. I've loved how you've decided to be church at the pace of love. <clears throat> love is a slower pace. You ever thought about that? It takes time to love well. You can't love efficiently. Any of you like efficiency? Like me? Yeah, I love efficiency. I love figuring out how to do things in the least amount of time. Loving doesn't work very well that way, though, I'm discovering. And, uh, you know, hey, I want to love you. I got about 2.6 minutes. That's about all I got. Got to be efficient here. And you all have decided to be church at the pace of love. I really like that. At the pace of community. At the pace of relationship. This morning, before we sort of get into the meat of this uh, message... So I want to make a few comments. This, this sermon, this message is rooted in a chapter from my latest book, which is titled, An Unhurried Leader, The Lasting Fruit of Daily Influence. And so those two words, unhurried leader, I feel like that in most people's minds. Unhurried and leader? How could you be both of those? So I need to say something about that before I step into the message itself. So first of all, when I say unhurried, and those of you who have heard me before talk about this, forgive me, it makes me feel a little bit like a rerun, but unhurried doesn't mean less stuff on your calendar necessarily, or less things on your to-do list necessarily. I'm not talking about how fast you drive on freeways, although you might consider slowing down a little bit just between you and me. When I say unhurried, I'm talking about living at the pace of Jesus. Not running past people to get things done, for example. Jesus stops for people, often to the great frustration of his followers. Do you see that in the story of the Gospels? The disciples, man, they are heading somewhere, and Jesus keeps stopping. Why? Because Jesus came for people. Because Jesus has a deep, shepherd-like love for people. Jesus has time for people. That's good news because Jesus has all the time you need from Him. He is happy to give you His full attention. So when I talk about unhurried, I'm talking about a life at the pace of Jesus, a life at the pace of grace, a life at the pace of love. It's a life in which we resist the temptation to let anxiety drive us, push us. But instead, we learn to let peace pace us. An unhurried life is a life in which I refuse to let anger Provoke me to react quickly instead of stepping back into the patience that love produces. 
An unhurried life is a life in which I refuse to let greed define what life will be. And grabbing something out there as though my life were out there somewhere. Instead of my life being right here where God is. Jesus says our lives don't consist in the abundance of our possessions. But we're living in a season, Christmas, where you might think by the commercials that's exactly where our life consists. Whoever has the most toys wins. So unhurried. And then leadership. A lot of my work is with leaders. It is a great treat and honor to walk with men and women of influence in all, kingdom influence in all kinds of different arenas. And you know, if I were to ask this question, I'm not going to do this as an actual exercise, but if I were to ask a question, if you're a leader in this room, raise your hand. Some of you very quickly would go, that's me. And you might raise your hand because you've got a certain kind of temperament. You know, you're extroverted or you're really, you love engaging and so you see yourself as a leader or, or you would, the hand would go up quick because you've got a certain position either in where you work or maybe in the church or somewhere you have a position that says leader. But when I talk about leadership, I'm not talking mostly about certain kinds of temperaments or certain kinds of positions. You don't have to have a position of influence to be a person of influence. Some of the people in my life who have had the greatest influence have not had any position of leadership over me at all. They've often been very gentle souls. But there was something about their lives that breathed the reality of the kingdom that inspired me, that taught me. So when I say leader, I'm not talking about a narrow percentage of people who, who have certain kinds of positions or temperaments. I'm really talking about the invitation God is extending to each of us to be persons of influence where he's planted us in our own families, in our neighborhoods, where we go to school or where we work. We are persons of influence because God is with us and God is guiding us. So I'm not talking in that book just to you know, senior pastors or CEOs or somebody who's in charge of stuff. I am talking to those kinds of men and women. But I'm hoping to talk to everyone. Now, so that's a big, long introduction to the message. It should only be another you know, hour and a half, and then I'll, I'll be done. No, not really. Ha, ha, ha. You're, you're, <clears throat> okay. So, Isaiah 55. This passage that we heard read just a bit ago lies at the heart of one of the chapters of this book. It is one of my absolute favorite passages. This is a message I've been preaching and teaching well over a decade now. And what I want to do is I want to read it again. We heard it a bit ago. I want you to listen again. You can't read Scripture too often. But here's what I want you to listen for is, as I read it one more time. I want you to listen and even look for the words of invitation in this passage. I think that's important. I think the Christian life is a wonderful invitation. There have been times when I let the Christian life become an obligation. Like the longer I was a Christian, the longer my to-do list got. Instead of, oh no, first, always first, 
the Christian life is an invitation from someone who's already been doing some planning, from someone who's already up to something, from someone who is already at work. And then the invitation comes to us, come join me. Come. So listen again as I read and listen for those words that invite you to something. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? And your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me. And eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. Did you hear the invitation words? So I've sort of played with this passage and lived in it for a long time, there are, there are four main words that sort of rise up to the surface for me that stand as the places of invitation that Isaiah announces from the Lord. Come, listen, buy, eat. God's inviting us to come to Him, to listen to him, to, to buy, in a sense, to, to trust. In popular language, we talk about, oh yeah, I don't buy that. What do we mean? It doesn't mean we're getting ready to not take out our wallet. It means we don't believe what was just said. I don't buy that, or I buy that. It's, a, it's the language of trust, isn't it? Come, listen, buy, and then eat. Take it in, be nourished, be satisfied. So, the first invitation word is come. Come. And who is invited to come in the very first line? What kind of people does God want to come? The word is the thirsty, right? Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Now, this is a line that is often and beautifully used to invite those who have yet to trust in Jesus, yet to believe in who God is, to come. Come, you thirsty. You've been trying to get your thirst quenched in so many places. Come to the one who can truly meet your thirsts. But I think that first line is an invitation to me today and to you today? So it becomes a very, very practical question. In what ways right now are you thirsty? What are you thirsty for? Where do you feel dissatisfied? Where do you feel anxious? Where do you feel frustrated? Underneath those places are thirsts. Maybe it's a thirst for peace. 
Maybe it's a thirst for joy. Maybe it's a thirst for meaning and purpose. Maybe it's a simple thirst to just be loved. The thing is, what makes all the difference in the world is where you bring your thirsts. I have sometimes tried to bring my thirst to my work. My work, it turns out, is I'm a pastor. And so what that ends up looking like is, in the past, it's looked like me with, let's say, a thirst for recognition. That's a real popular one. I want people to like me. I know no one else in the room ever thinks or feels that way. But this is a strange and obscure problem I have. Okay? I want people to like or admire or think that something I did or who I am is good. Maybe a couple of you could identify with that. So my question is, where do you bring that thirst? I've sometimes brought it to my work, and so I'm trying to accomplish things, trying to do impressive things. I want people to see me as, as the guy who says really cool stuff or whatever. So what happens, though, if I bring my thirst to my work? Does my work quench my thirst? How much recognition from other people will be enough for you to then feel like you matter? The answer to that question is the exact same answer to the question when you ask someone who's chasing money to find meaning, how much will be enough for you? The answer is very simple, isn't it? A little more. A little more than I have now. What would it look like to bring a thirst for recognition to God. What if you brought your thirst for recognition, I'm just using one example here, to the God who says, you are my beloved son, my beloved daughter, and gives that to you as a gift before you've accomplished anything. What if recognition, like every other quenching of our thirsts comes to us as a gift first. Come to me, all you who are thirsty, and if you come, you're going to find that you're coming to the waters. What better place to come when you're thirsty, right? The waters. God wants to meet you in the places of thirst in your life. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And one of the other ways he clarifies this invitation to come is that he says, come to me. It's an invitation to live in friendship with God. When God says to you, come, do you know what that means? That means he wants you. He wants you close. He wants you with him. Have you ever had someone really, really important say, hey, come, be with me? Or ever wanted that to happen? God is saying, I want you to come close. Come to me. Be with me. There's a place in the Gospels when Jesus, in John chapter 7, there's this big festival, one of the three big festivals every year that a, 
a Jew would travel and make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to celebrate. And on the last day of one of these big festivals, Jesus stands up in the temple and he cries out some familiar sounding words. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Do you hear what happened there? Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What God is saying is, when we bring our thirsts to Him, instead of bringing them all the other places we're tempted to bring our thirsts, when we bring thirst to God, what does He do with it? He doesn't just quench it. Jesus says, Rivers of living water will flow from within the thirsty ones who come to me. Jesus will take what is a thirst in you and transform it into more than you can hold. A river. You ever tried to drink a river? You're not going to be very successful. I grew up near the American River up in Northern California. During flood stage, man, that thing would run absolutely run. We live just a few miles from where some of the rafters would get off the river. You can't drink a river. It's too much. It's more than you could possibly hold. When we bring our thirst to God, whatever that thirst may be, a thirst for peace, a thirst for recognition, a thirst for meaning, a thirst for purpose, whatever. Not only does God meet us there, but he so meets us that we have more of what we need than we can hold. What are we going to do with all this? Maybe I could share it with others. Maybe that could be ministry. Maybe that could be service. Maybe that could be me reaching out to other thirsty ones around me who are looking all over the place to find their thirst met and aren't finding much success. And I could say, I've come to the waters I can tell you, they satisfy. Come. And God extends this invitation to us in the midst of all our going. You ever feel like life is just sort of go, 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 go? Like day after day, go here, go there, go, go to work, go to shop for groceries, go here, go, go, go. And in the midst of our going, 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 God says, come to me. Take a minute. Come to me. Remember that you are always with me. So that's the first invitation. Come, which God extends to us in the midst of all of our going. There's a second invitation word. And that invitation word is, listen. Once we come, what do we do? Well, one of the words that God uses to describe what we might do is that we might listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and you'll delight in the richest affair. Give ear to me. Come to me. Listen that you may live. How do we listen? It may involve opening the scriptures, not to 
get an answer to a question necessarily, not necessarily to prepare to talk to other people about what God says, but to open the Scriptures as a place of listening. A place where God, by His ever-present Spirit, might speak to exactly where I find myself. This morning as I got up early, I often like to be in a passage of Scripture. And, and so it wasn't related to this sermon. It was just I've been in some of Paul's letters and I just found myself in 2 Timothy. And, and so there are just a few verses there at the beginning. And one of the little ways Paul's letter starts, he says, grace, mercy, and peace to you. And I thought, oh, I think that'll help. I think that'll help to just think of today as a day where God is being gracious and mercy, merciful and being the God of peace. Maybe that'll help you today. But I came to that passage this morning just to listen, assuming that something God wanted to say and something I'm feeling or experiencing would intersect. I'm listening with expectancy. God wants to be a friend to me, wants to speak to my actual life. And so I come and I listen to Him. I listen so that I might live. Now, God extends this invitation to us to listen. Think about it. Jesus came and he taught, didn't he? He spoke. Sometimes he spoke to a little circle of followers like Peter and James and John and some others. Sometimes he spoke to the crowds. You ever think about this? I think the crowds heard him, but the disciples listened. Can you feel the difference between those two? You hear a lot of stuff, don't you? I mean, television, social media, conversations here, there, and everywhere. You're just hearing stuff all the time. You just almost can't possibly listen to everything that crosses your path. But God says, listen to me. Give ear to me. If you do, You'll live. You know, this is a season where a lot of people are thinking, if only I'll get that thing, then I'll be, then I'll be alive. You know, I just can't live with the last edition of the iPhone. I must have the latest one. My life will be diminished if I don't. Who could live with just a seven? Let alone an eight when there's an X. I mean, you can't live that way, can you? I mean, it's silly, but, but, but we live in a culture where we really think our life is out there somewhere that we need to go grab it and seize it. And then if only I can get this thing, now I'll be alive for about 10 minutes. But God says, come to me. Listen to me so you'll really live. What an, uh, an amazing invitation. And God gives us this invitation in the midst of all of our talking. We do a lot of talking, don't we? I mean, I'm an introvert. I don't talk as much as some of my friends who are a little bit more extroverted. But I still, part of my job is talking. I mean, proven by the fact that I'm standing here and you all have to listen to me for however much longer this thing is going to go. Right? We We all use a lot of words. And sometimes in our relationship with with God, we think the main thing is the words we're saying to God. Like prayer is mostly me telling God things. 
And sometimes I find myself in this really odd position when I pray. I was thinking about this the other day. Sometimes my prayers end up sounding like I'm sort of God's consultant. You know, I need to make him aware of something I'm not sure he's really in touch with. There's this situation in my life or someone I care about. So I'll unpack for him the many details of the situation because I'm sure he's not aware of them. I need to be sure he tunes in to this problem because I want him to give some attention to it. So I'll unpack the problem with great detail. And then, being the great consultant I am, I'll give him two or three options on how I think he ought to respond to this thing. You know, hey, God, if I were you, here's what I'd do. And then, you know, I sort of imagine that the main thing that happens in prayer is that I'm saying stuff to God. And then, of course, I end it with, in Jesus' name, period. Amen. But he says, come to me and listen. A lot of times we think the main thing the Christian life is about is all of our activities. And there's a lot of good things that we get to do as children of God, as followers of Jesus. But the Christian life is not just about activities. It's also about what I like to call receptivities. Not just things that I do, say, places I go, but it's realizing the Christian life is something I'm always receiving. I'm coming to Him. I'm listening to Him. Do you believe, for example, that where you find yourself in life, that there's something of God's unique calling in the middle of that? It might be easy to think, oh yeah, somebody gets called to be a pastor. Okay, that's clearly something somebody might be called to do. But maybe some of you sitting here aren't pastors. I'm going to guess there's many of you who aren't pastors. But I think where you find yourself in your extended family, in your neighborhood, in your place of work, God said, I think that'd be the perfect place to put her. I think she could be a beautiful witness to the reality of my kingdom among, among those people. That there's a calling. And that's, that's part of what happens when we listen. We, we find courage to be where we are and believe that God has put us there. And so God extends this invitation to listen in the midst of a world where there's a whole lot of talking. Come, listen. There's a third invitation word, and that's the invitation to buy. You who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread? Why work for what does not satisfy? You ever tried that at Trader Joe's? Go into Trader Joe's, fill your cart, and say, hey, you know, I read this great verse in Isaiah 55. It says I can come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. I'm just trying to be a biblical Christian here. Do you mind if I just go out with this? You know, I forgot my wallet. 
They're not going to buy that, are they? That's not how it works at Trader Joe's. I've got two sons who work there. I'm pretty clear on this. Um, But in the economy of God, this is grace. That the Christian life begins with divine generosity, not with human responsibility. The Christian life begins with divine generosity, not first with human responsibility. Even our ability to respond, which is what's inside that word responsibility, means somebody did something that we're responding to. Can you hear that? Can you feel that? God is always reaching to you with generosity. That's why he says, come, listen, buy. Like I said before, we use that in popular language. I buy this or I don't buy that. And we're talking about our confidence. We're talking about belief. We're talking about a willingness to embrace. It's the language of personal investment. It's the language of commitment. It's the language of trust. See, buy does cost me something here, but it's not something in my wallet. It only costs me myself. It's me that I spend in coming and listening and trusting. Come, listen, buy. See, let me tell you where I often get stuck. I get stuck between listen and buy. I've been a Christian almost 40 years now. Do you know how many sermons I've heard? Not even just the ones I preached. I have to hear my own. Oh, my goodness. But I've heard a lot of sermons. I've heard a lot of teachings. I've read a lot of books. I have listened to a lot of truth. Where I get stuck is buying it. Can you identify? For example, Paul in one of his letters says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. Pray about everything. Do I buy it? Sometimes. And then sometimes I just worry. Anxiety is one of those sort of knee-jerk, almost automatic responses for me that I'm still learning to step out of. Jesus said, you don't have to worry. That's been very hard for me to buy. I grew up in a family where worry means you care. You can't prove you care unless you really, really worry. Worry proves love. Have you ever heard that one or felt that one? If you're a parent, can you identify with that one? Except if you think about it, being worried about sometimes feels more like a burden than like love. Now, concern, absolutely. Worry, maybe Jesus is right about worry. Maybe when he says worry won't make me an inch taller or make my life a day longer, or add anything else good to my life. Maybe he knows what he's talking about when he talks about worry. Maybe actually, and this is a great line from, from a mentor, Dallas Willard. You know, He often would say this line, you know, anything you can do in anxiety, you could do a lot better in peace. Seriously. Anything you could do in anxiety... 
you could do a whole lot better in peace. See, again, that took me a while to buy. Because honestly, I kind of felt like my anxiety was an engine. Man, it got me moving. So I was kind of slow to let go of it. I might not get anything done if I'm not anxious. If I'm just all peaceful and all relaxed, I'm not going to get anything done. Seriously? Do you think that's true? Do you think the Prince of Peace was so relaxed he got nothing done? Or maybe was it true that because he was the Prince of Peace, he could be relaxed, he could see what was going on, he didn't have that anxiety tunnel vision that happens? He was, he was available. He could see what was coming. Everything he was was fully available to the people around him instead of being this ah, anxiety, crazy place. Maybe trusting is a wonderful invitation for us. Maybe learning to, to see that what Jesus says is actually a description of reality, not the way things could be or should be but that actually the reason we can be at peace is we live in a very good and generous kingdom. That's actually our home. We could buy that. We could trust in that. And the other thing I want to point out, look on the screen again. There's one question here. It's the only question in those three verses that we read earlier. The question is, why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor on what does not satisfy. Why do we spend so much of ourselves, our time, our energy, our effort, on things that won't nourish us, that won't help us, that won't fill us, that won't satisfy us? You know what I'm talking about? You spend so much effort trying to get something done or trying to get somebody to notice or whatever it is you're working on. And it's a wonderful question. Why spend money on what is not bread? Now, God extends this invitation to buy in the world where often it feels like it's all about sell. You don't have to watch television long to realize somebody wants to sell you something. Yes? Or social media? And I'm not just talking about something that's going to involve your wallet. I'm talking about they're trying to convince you of something. They want you to see it their way. Later on today, when you take a peek at Facebook, ask yourself, just for a few minutes, look at some of the posts and ask, what are they selling? Are they selling, I have an amazing life, look at me? That might be what they're selling. Or they may be trying to convince you, you should see things the way I do politically. Uh, although that never happens on social media, but theoretically it might happen, you know, just possibly. Sell, 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 sell. We live in a world where everybody is trying to sell. And God says, in such a world, come to me. Listen to me. Buy what I'm saying. Trust me. Believe me. Under all the other selling that's happening, you will find Nourishment, refreshment, satisfaction. Then there's one final invitation word. 
come, listen, buy, and then eat. And I think with that goes delight. We had a Christmas party last night as well with a number of friends. Every year we've had this party for, oh my goodness, I think we're bumping maybe 20 years. And it was so much fun, and we ate so much good food, too much of it, way too much of it. We, none of us were planking. You know, we were just eating. That's all we were interested in. <clears throat> we're too old for that. I don't know. But eat, and you know, to eat with friends and to just enjoy that, that's great, isn't it? Doesn't that feel good to be in community, to enjoy a meal together? It just feels like family. It feels like community. God wants us to feel that with Him. That same feeling of belonging, that same feeling of joy and satisfaction that we have when we're with good friends enjoying a good meal together. The laughter, the teasing, the fun. See, God is the most joyful being in the universe. Do you see Him that way? If you sort of imagine God, is he sort of this rather dour-looking, gray-haired old guy with a beard sitting still on some monstrous heavenly throne? Sometimes my gut-level vision of God was more like my dad on a bad day. Just kind of grumpy, short-tempered a little. Doesn't want to hang out with me. He wants to Go do something else. When we come and listen, we trust, buy, and then eat, we find delight in the presence of God. God wants us to enjoy what is good. So enjoy it that we realize there's more here than I can possibly eat. I need to share this with others. See, this is another place where I will get stuck. I, I sometimes feel like, especially, again, my, my role is I, I teach, I, I train, I, I'm a pastor. I prepare all these wonderful meals, and then I hand them to other people. And sometimes I'm not eating my own cooking. I'm not taking in the good things that are there. I, I'm kind of becoming this professional Bible studier. And it can happen to us when we've been in the faith for a while. But God says, come, listen, buy. Eat this good thing that I have for you. Take it in. Don't be like the person who has a pantry full of great food that you're not eating and enjoying. See, I think this word delight is a great one. I think to use language from earlier in the passage, delight is when my thirsts connect with God's abundance. Can you feel that? Delight is when my thirsts and God's abundance connect. Man, that feels good. Yesterday I went out on my bicycle. I love cycling. Went up the hill uh, and then came on back down. And I got done and I was thirsty. I brought a bottle of water, but usually I just get lost in the cycling and I get done. And, I, and then I got this big, huge, Mason jar of ice water. Man, I could use it right now. I don't know. You know, can you feel that? A moment when you've been really thirsty and then... God wants us to experience that with Him. 
feel and experience and know a deep sense of delight because my deepest thirsts are connecting with God's generous goodness. So like the other three invitation words, this one, this invitation to eat, God extends to us in the midst of all the ways we serve and feed others. If some of you are parents, you care for kids, or your grandparents. Some of you may have ministries here in the church or elsewhere where you give and serve others. One of the great challenges in the training that I do, a lot of my training is with men and women in roles of ministry. Sometimes it's their job, sometimes it's just a way that they give a lot of themselves to serve others. It's kind of like that moment every single time you're on a plane and those people up front, right? They say, from the ceiling will drop the oxygen mask. Please put your mask on first, then help anyone there with you. There's a certain part of me that thinks, how to help the person next to me first? It's very selfish to put my mask on first. Except if you pass out, you're not going to be able to help anybody. And this happens to us in the Christian life. We can be so concerned about serving everybody else that we're not taking in the good things God wants to give us. Ministry and service and care for others, whether it's care as a parent or care as a friend or care as a servant in some ministry setting, it's best expressed from abundance. A lot of times when I come alongside leaders, I kind of get this feeling like they're pouring out their last three drops of whatever's inside of them. <sighs> they're just running out of gas. And God says, oh, no, no. First, bring your thirst to me. Let me quench your thirst. Let me transform your thirst into a river. You will have more than you can hold you will have enough to bless everyone I bring across your path. Does that sound inviting? Does that sound like something you might like to continue to grow in in ways you've already been growing? So let me conclude. Four invitation words. Come. Let's make them personal for this Advent season, the season in which we remember God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus Come to Jesus in this Advent season. Listen to Jesus. Trust Jesus. And then let Jesus be the bread of life, the living water that quenches your thirst, that nourishes you in all the ways you find yourself hungry. As you kind of move into this day, I wonder if maybe one of those words will feel especially inviting for you. Is this a season where especially God's saying, you know, you've been go, 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 going. Would you just come to me? Just sit with me for a moment. Maybe a moment in scripture. Maybe a moment of prayer. Maybe a moment sitting in your yard just looking at the beauty of things God's made. But come. Or maybe it's listen. You've been talking and everyone else has been talking to you. But a moment to just listen to what God says and let yourself hear the loving voice of God for you. Or maybe it's some way in which God's inviting you to trust Him in, the, in a place of anxiety or trust Him in a place of uncertainty. That invitation to buy, 
or the invitation to eat. Just enjoy and take in and be nourished by who Jesus is in this season. Let me take a moment as we close just to pray. It's such a good thing, God, to hear your heart extending this kind of invitation in what is often for us a very busy season, sometimes a very anxious season, sometimes a difficult season. But right here in the midst of it, you were calling out to us, come to me, listen to me, trust me. Receive the good things that I'm always giving you. Let yourself be satisfied. Let yourself find delight in me. And so, Lord, I pray that we could enter into your invitation to us, that we could take a step of trust to receive whatever it is you want to do or however it is you want to be with us. And these things I pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.